Our scripture text this morning is from uh, uh, Genesis chapter 26, Genesis chapter 26, and uh, I will read uh, uh, the entire chapter except for the last couple of verses, so let's uh, pay attention uh, to how God speaks to us from his word uh, this morning. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt to dwell in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give, you offspring, give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar and the men of the place asked him about his wife. He said, she is my sister for he feared to say my wife thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, "Um, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to see me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. 
So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water and he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you give your word for our benefit, and we're grateful for that, and we ask now that you will guide us by the power of your spirit so that we might realize that benefit, that we might see what it is that you have said to us, that we might treasure it and we might receive it as coming from you, our great and sovereign God. And we ask that you will grant this mercy to us because we ask for it in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. Uh, we live in uh, an era of uh, renewed attention to genetics and with the uh, completion of the human genome uh, project, uh, scientists uh, now make uh, predictions about uh, all kinds of things uh, based upon heredity. And one of those aspects of one of those uh, predictions uh, has to do with uh, certain tendencies that, uh, uh, to disease that they claim are hereditary. And not only do uh, scientists make predictions about diseases, uh, but they also uh, make predictions about personality uh, characteristics. Now, I haven't come across if anyone is arguing that cowardice is heredity, hereditary, and it's something in our genetic makeup. Uh, but if you are a student of the lives of the patriarchs, of those early Israelite leaders, you may ask yourself the question, is cowardice uh, hereditary? Uh, some of you will recall what happened with Isaac's father, Abraham. On two different occasions, uh, Abraham exercised the very same kind of cowardice that we see Isaac exercising in the text that we have now. As a matter of fact, one of those incidents also happened in the city of Gerar, where uh, Abraham professed that uh, his wife Sarah was not his wife but his sister. Uh, and he had to be confronted by the king at that time with his wrongdoing. And he did it another time while he was in, in Egypt. And so you may ask, uh, what's going on here? Uh, is this some kind of genetic uh, mix-up uh, that has uh, plagued the um, uh, patriarchs? Uh, the text that we have today doesn't tell us and address whether heredity is the cause of cowardice, but it does show us how God's promises to Abraham are reaffirmed to Isaac, even though both Abraham and Isaac are liars and cowards. We need to pay attention to this. And so let's look at this, first of all, looking at the reaffirmation of the blessings promised to Abraham and the way in which they are reaffirmed to Isaac. And let's look at the way in which Isaac, by his behavior, risks those very promises that God had made to Abraham and reiterated to Isaac 
And then finally, let's look at the way in which some of these promises are realized in the life of Isaac, but even more important, the way in which they are realized this morning in our very lives. And so let's look first of all at the way in which these blessings are reaffirmed. Now, the setting of this incident is in a city called Gerar, and the king, as named Abimelech, is as identified as the king of the Philistines. And it's altogether likely that this designation Philistines are not the same Philistines that you remember uh, from the life of David. Uh, this is probably a different group of people who somehow uh, had the same moniker put upon them. And the reason why Isaac finds himself in this city of Gerar is because there was a famine in the land. Now, famines were uh, uh, almost common in the ancient Near East, and they were particularly uh, difficult and bad for people who were living in Canaan or what we come to know as Israel, because in that hilly country, water comes down, but hills and rocks allow the water to run off, it goes away, and there are no huge great plains to or lakes to just catch all that water, and at this time, people hadn't come to the place where they could use irrigation, now like uh, Israelis do it in our day, so they, 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 they were prone to these. And so both uh, Abraham and Isaac faced uh, uh, these famines. Um, I also think that this text probably took place before the things that we saw the last time I preached to you, uh, and that was the birth, uh, we read about the birth of Esau and Jacob. Now, the reason I think it happened beforehand, it would be very difficult for Isaac to pass off Rebecca of his sister if there were two kids running around. I mean, that would just not make sense. So I take it that this was probably something that, that occurred before uh, the children were born. Remember how long Isaac prayed for those 20 years and that the children would be born. Now, the text, first of all, gets us to make comparisons with Isaac and Abraham. And those comparisons begin right there in the very first verse where the, the famine that Isaac is, under, is facing is a different famine from the famine that Abraham faced. And Moses, as he writes this, makes that distinction so very clear. And uh, the, the text goes on to point out that, that God tells Isaac that he's not to do what Abraham did, namely to go back to Egypt. He's not to do that. He's supposed to stay here in, in Gerar. This is the land that God, that Yahweh tells him uh, that he is to dwell in the land of which I shall tell you, and that happens to be Gerar. Uh, it is in this land that Yahweh repeats all, many of the promises that he had made at an earlier time uh, to, to Abraham promises that we find all the way back in the 12th chapter of Genesis. That's where these various promises begin to unfold. And they repeat again and again through the life of Abraham. And now they're back here again as we see this incident in the life of Isaac. Now, the first of those uh, uh, blessings is, is posterity, and uh, that's the first of four of those blessings, and those blessings are posterity, uh, place, uh, presence, and prominence. So let's, let's look at them. Uh, the promise of posterity is a vast number of, of, of offspring, and it is a repeat of what Yahweh promised uh, Abraham. In, uh, in the fourth verse of this chapter, uh, we are told that uh, Isaac's offspring will be as many as the stars in the heavens. You'll remember that that was made to Abraham. Uh, it was also said that he will have offspring as many as the sand of the sea. So it's a, it's a promise for a huge number of offsprings, of a great uh, posterity. 
But there was also the promise of place. And Yahweh tells Isaac that he will give him and his offspring all these lands. Now, I think that probably includes more than just the lands right around the city of, of Gerar. As a matter of fact, in uh, both in chapter 12 and also in... <clears throat> Chapter 17, verse 8, uh, it's described as all the land of Canaan. So it's a, it's a big promise, not only of lots of kids and offspring, but also of, of a great land. He also gives him the promise of God's presence. And uh, uh, we see that in verse 3, where we're told, I will be with you and bless you. And the assurance of God's presence is something that, that is integral to the way in which Yahweh has determined to relate to Abraham and to Isaac and to all their posterity, and that he is going to be their God and he's going to be with them. And with, with his presence with them is, is a presence of blessing, and it becomes very important as we see this text unfold. <clears throat> and finally, there is the blessing of prominence. Prominence. Yahweh further assures Isaac that just as he did with Abraham, he said, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We see that in verse four. It's also much earlier to Abraham. And, and that uh, prominence, that in the seed of Abraham, in the seed of Isaac, all the nations of the world are to be blessed. We come here this morning and we celebrate that. You see, we are those nations who receive the blessing that comes because of the offspring of Abraham, because the Lord Jesus is that offspring of, uh, of Abraham. He is the child of Abraham. Now, it's interesting that in this text that the promises that are made to Isaac are tied to the way in which uh, Abraham behaved. We see, we see this. It was because he obeyed the voice of, of uh, Yahweh, because Abraham obeyed the voice of Yahweh. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Uh, God didn't say, if you do this, Abraham, then I will do that for you. It wasn't a quid pro quo where Abraham was a good guy and God then was obligated to bless him. Uh, you'll have to remember that these promises are made to Abraham uh, before Abraham follows that great command to circumcise uh, himself and all of his uh, sons. So, so he gets these promises first. But these, these, this obedience on the part of Abraham is a testimony, uh, first to God, that, uh, uh, that Abraham really does believe what God has told him. Uh, he does believe that he's going to be his God. He does believe that he's going to be the God to all of his offspring. Uh, but Abraham also is not only a testimony to, uh, to God that he believes that, it's a testimony to Abraham also as he obeys, as he does these things. And so uh, it, it, it is, a, it is, a, it is a, an evidence, if you will, of Abraham's confidence in God. It's the way what his obedience demonstrates. Now, Abraham sets the example for those of us who take the promise of the blessings from Yahweh seriously. Uh, Abraham is described in this text as keeping the charge, commandments, statutes, and laws. And the promise was given to Abraham, and his trust in Yahweh was shown in his, his willingness to obey. And I think it's important for us to remember that these promises are reiterated now to Isaac. And I think it's important for us to remember these are the promises that were given to Isaac. The Isaac that Abraham himself, in obedience to Yahweh, was what? Ready to sacrifice him. Took him up on the altar, got the knife out. He was ready to sacrifice him. And uh, Isaac was uh, a willing participant in that as well. 
And as we think about these uh, promises uh, uh, God has given to his people, uh, we have to remember that obedience characterized those who trust in these promised blessings. Um, for example, God promises to those who trust, uh, makes promises to those who trust in Jesus. And the evidence of that trust is that we keep the commandments uh, that God has given to, uh, to him. Uh, and I point this out, and I, I, as I point this out, I need to ask the question, do you trust in Jesus? You know, not an odd question for a preacher to ask you on Sunday morning. But before you answer that question, I also have to ask you, are you willing to set forth some evidence that you trust in Jesus? And the evidence that this text is calling forth is that you trust those promises and you behave in accordance with those promises. It's like Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. That's the demonstration of it. Now we not only see in this uh, text uh, these uh, promises that are, are repeated, but we also see in this text the way in which these promises are, ri are risked. Uh, and the incident reminds us, as I said before, of the situation with uh, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Abraham complained that uh, Sarah uh, was his sister, very much in the same way, both with uh, uh, this guy Abimelech and also with uh, uh, Pharaoh. And uh, um, uh, this incident uh, was recorded, the first incident is recorded back in uh, Genesis chapter 20. And in that incident, uh, the Abimelech of that time, I take the Abimelech of that time, is different than the Abimelech of this time. It's altogether likely that Abimelech is not a person's name, but it's a title. Uh, uh, the, the name basically means, is, you know, my father's the king or something of that sort. And uh, so it's a title, sort of like Pharaoh. Everybody was Pharaoh, and it seems that all the rulers of, of Gerar were also Abimelechs. But anyway, uh, Abimelech, uh, at that time, took... Um, uh, uh, Sarah into his own home. And at that time, uh, God comes and he visits Abimelech. And uh, he gets his attention. For those of you who remember, you may, rem you may recall uh, what it is that uh, Yahweh says to Abraham, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you got somebody's wife there and you're dead. So Abimelech uh, goes and rebukes Abraham, if you will, and uh, Abraham uh, makes this uh, statement uh, that uh, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Um, uh, yes, that's true, but that's not why he said that she is my sister. <laughs> He was fearful that they, no one there uh, trusted God and that he might get killed. Um, now Isaac, like his father, is living in Gerar and uh, uh, he uh, makes this same story uh, up about, uh, about his wife Rebecca and uh, um, Isaac uh, fears again because Rebecca is attractive just like uh, Sarah was and he fears for his life. And so uh, both father and son exhibit cowardice and they tell lies and the reason why they exhibit cowardice and the reason why they tell lies is because they are worried about their life. Now, now get this, I think it's important for us just to stop here for a minute. They're worried about their life. Notice how the text starts off. It says to Isaac, in all those promises that I made to Abraham about you having lots of offspring, and Isaac is worried about his life. 
doesn't quite fit. If he's going to have lots of children, lots of posterity, he has no children at this point, it strikes me that we see some deficit, at least, in Isaac's trust in what Yahweh has to say to him at this point. But this time, uh, uh, Abimelech, uh, the king, discovers that this is not true, that Rebekah is uh, Isaac's uh, sister, but that she's his wife. And he's looking out the window. It's interesting that the translation we use, the ESV, says he saw them laughing. Um, uh, the uh, American Standard uh, Version, I think, maybe translates it more accurately, caressing. Uh, whatever they were doing, it's not something that siblings do. It's something that only husbands and wives do. And uh, uh, Abimelech understood that right away. And he confronts Isaac with his lying and with his uh, cowardice. And um, I, 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 uh, Abimelech says, you would have brought guilt on us. And I can't help but be struck, and I hope that you're struck, that the anomaly of what we're seeing here. The text starts off, and it's telling us God promises all these great things to Isaac, all these wonderful things. God guides him. God tells him to go to this city, to stay in this city. And now Isaac does that, you see. And here's this pagan king that comes out, and he says, you're a coward, and you lied to me, and you brought guilt upon us. Now, it may be a reflection, I suspect it is, of some kind of basic moral commitment on the part of Abimelech. He, he, he knows this is just wrong. The pagan knows this is just wrong. The pagan knows what wrongdoing is, and the man of God is practicing the wrongdoing. Now, the anomaly of it has to, has to strike us, I think, as we come to this. And... Um, uh, I think we may also have something else in the background. Uh, you know, if uh, this Abimelech was the son or the grandson of the other Abimelech, it's altogether likely that, that somehow God coming to this king and saying to him, you're dead, <laughs> uh, those words might have been passed down. And so it's altogether likely that not only was there moral commitment on the part of Abimelech, but there may also have been some fear that was brought down in the tradition as well. Uh, but, but God oversaw this entire incident, and he works it out as he had with Abraham. And actually, the text tells us that, that Isaac prospered. Uh, uh, the, you know, Abimelech warns uh, his people, don't touch these, these, and then it tells us the way in which Isaac prospers. And I, I just have to stop again and say to you, don't make the assumption that somehow uh, it's okay to be a coward and a liar and expect God's blessing to come upon you. That's not the point of the text. Go ahead and do wrong and expect to prosper from it. Don't, don't make those kind of, of things. The, the, the emphasis is really on the veracity of Yahweh who keeps his promises. And you may be struck by the, by the strangeness of this account, the one to whom the promises of abundance and magnificent blessings doubts whether God can take care of him. Isaac, who had experienced uh, Yahweh's deliverance. Remember, Isaac was the one who was on the altar being sacrificed by his father Abraham. And then 
God calls out to Abraham and he sees the ram there and the ram becomes a substitute. Now this is Isaac, he knows all this. And yet he's fearful that God can take care of him. He just doesn't seem to have that trust. And you know, we ponder about that and we ponder about it. But my fear is that everybody in this room understands it. Everybody here understands clearly What's going on? We profess to believe and to trust God. And if you're like I am, there's hardly a week that goes by where I'm not in a conversation and I could add to that conversation something about the Lord Jesus, something about the truth of the gospel, and I'm a coward. I just let that go past. And my fear, brothers and sisters, is... I'm not the only one who knows about that. You see, and it's strange that the, that the very text uh, that tells me uh, that uh, God is with me always, even to the end of the world, happens to be in that same passage where we're told to make disciples, to faithfully bear witness to the Lord Jesus. And so when we, we look at Abraham, or we look at Isaac, as we do in this case, we can understand how we can profess to trust God's good providence for us and behave in a manner that's altogether different from that profession of trust. How it is that we can claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus and at the same time fail to use that evidence of obedience that we're called to. We understand Isaac's failure. But the blessings in this text are also realized for us. The story doesn't end with Isaac's failure. Uh, it shows something of how uh, Yahweh blessed Isaac. Uh, he was blessed so much, uh, the text actually tells us, that the Philistines envied him. And they reacted to his uh, prosperity. One of the things that they did was, in their envy, they filled up all the wells that uh, Abraham uh, had uh, dug. And eventually, uh, Abimelech comes to Isaac and he says, uh, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we are. We see that in verse 16 of this passage. And Isaac parts and the text tells us that he goes someplace called the Valley of Gerar. I'm assuming that's just outside the more settled part uh, of the town. And uh, obviously, in order to maintain the flocks and herds that God has blessed him with, he's going to need water. Uh, and so uh, he, he looks for water and he digs out the wells of his father. And the text reminds us of something. After he digs those wells out again, what does he do? He gives them the names that his father gave them. Uh, when you name something in the Old Testament in particular, that gives evidence of your ownership. But it's not only that he gives evidence of his ownership, but some of the names of these wells uh, have similar names uh, and that they will show, uh, anticipate, if you will, uh, the very covenant that Abimelech and Isaac will put together. We can see uh, this uh, back in Genesis chapter 21. Isaac's servants go on, they dig a couple of other wells. The Philistines come and say, no, no, that's our water. Isaac seems to move on, doesn't do anything here, he doesn't dispute over these, uh, uh, these at all. And none of this seems to compromise uh, God's blessing upon Isaac because he keeps on growing. And then the text tells us some strange things that we may not get right away. Uh, then it tells us about this guy Abimelech coming to Isaac 
and uh, saying, I want to enter into a treaty, into a covenant with you. This language is, is a language that's very similar to lots of other covenants. And the procedure of meals and promises made are very similar, not only to, to national and tribal kinds of covenants, but also the way in which God interacts with us. But it's a, it's, it tells us something about God's people here, because uh, when, when, when Abimelech and his, uh, his commander of his forces come, uh, he, he tells uh, Abimelech, Isaac tells Abimelech, he said, what are you here talking to me for? You told me to get away, I thought you hated me. And then Abimelech lets us understand why this is all happening, because Abimelech recognizes that because of God's blessing, that, that uh, Isaac is greater than, he's mightier than they are. And he actually, Abimelech is the one that actually tells us why. He says, because Yahweh is with you. That's why you are being blessed. That's why you're having all these things. And because you have become more powerful than we are, it's in our interest to come to uh, enter into some kind of a treaty, into some kind of covenant, so that just as we do didn't do you any harm, you won't do us any harm. It does seem uh, that Isaac has gotten to be so powerful that now he's in charge. We see that because he's the one who establishes the meal, and when it's all over, everybody makes their promises. Isaac is the one who dismisses everyone. So Isaac's, the blessings upon Isaac have come uh, in, in a rather marvelous and, and uh, mighty way. Uh, and the text goes on to help us to understand this because uh, during this period of time, uh, Isaac's servants are digging another well, and that well is called again by the name Sheba, which is the, the, the word for, for uh, uh, this covenant idea that we've talked about. And so that's the name of the town, the same name that uh, uh, Abraham had given for it as uh, uh, now Isaac gives it to them. Now, Isaac does all this because uh, Yahweh appears to him. And when Yahweh appears to him, what does Isaac do? He call, builds an altar and he calls upon the name of the Lord. So, so Isaac, uh, we, we find him, we find him in the early part of the text, a coward and a liar. We find him in the later part of the text, blessing is poured out upon him and him calling upon the name of the Lord. And again, we may ask ourselves, what do I take from all this? How do I handle all these things that, that are going on here? And again, uh, I, I think we can understand what is going on. We can understand, uh, particularly that, that last part of the promise that we referred to earlier, that part of the promise, that in the seed of Abraham, in the seed of Isaac, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How is it? That, that, that this guy Isaac can, can in such a, such a cavalier way ignore the promises of God and still receive the blessings of God. And this morning, we have an opportunity to come to realize fully and completely just exactly what's going on. This morning, we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we come to celebrate that Jesus Christ the seed of Abraham came into this earth. And why did the seed of Abraham come? Why did that one who fulfilled the promises to Abraham come? He came to live upon this earth and to die. And why did Jesus Christ come to live to die? To save people who understand the problem of Isaac. People who say, I trust. And to go ahead and disobey. People who say, I disobeyed, 
And God continues to pour out his blessing upon them and care for them. It's because of what Jesus did. Jesus Christ came, and Jesus Christ came with the purpose of suffering, of dying. And why did he suffer and why did he die? Because I sinned. And because you sinned if you trust in him, if you believe in him. And so we come this morning to celebrate the sacrament, and it reminds us of the way this God the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the way in which he deals with his people. He deals with them out of his loving kindness, out of this amazing gift of mercy. He looks at us and he, he sees us in our sin and he sends his son to die to take away our sins. Now, I don't know, brothers and sisters, whether cowardice is hereditary, as I said in this morning, I don't think it's right for us to make a, a determination simply on the basis of the fact that we see in this text that Abraham was a lying coward and that uh, Isaac was a lying coward. I don't think we dare make that. But what we can say about Abraham and Isaac, both showed cowardice, they showed dishonesty, and they did so because they did not trust that Yahweh would take care of them when they should have trusted him. And the reason for their unbelief was their sin. And their sin is hereditary. And those of us who go by the name of the sons, the children of Abraham, as Paul calls us, also inherit that same problem, that same sin. And in the end, Abraham and Isaac trusted in God's covenant promises to send one to redeem them. And in so doing, they were forgiven. And are you confident? Are you confident, are you sure that God is with you? Do you trust him? And in particular, do you trust him that in the death of Jesus Christ, your sins and the punishment for your sins have been taken away? You can only have that confidence because of what Jesus did for you. And for those of you who have that confidence, I invite you to join with us and to celebrate the wonder of what it was that Jesus did with your tactile senses. You will be reminded that Jesus' body was given and his blood shed to take away your sins. And if there's any of you sitting in this room today who can't just stand there and say, I trust Jesus to take away my sins. I plead with you. Embrace him in faith. Call upon him. Lord Jesus, I believe. Take away my sins. Free me of the consequences of my wrongdoing. Yes. That's the way. Cowards and liars are blessed. And I'm glad that's the kind of God that Abraham and Isaac served. Aren't you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, your goodness to us is, is just overwhelming. That you care for those who who fail you. 
You give promises and we doubt and we don't trust. But we ask, sovereign, mighty God in heaven, that you would forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness as we confess our sins. And that you will allow us to celebrate your goodness to us. And we make this plea to you in the name of our great and wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of your people say together, Amen.